August's conversation here on the Neighbors Church Podcast. I'm Dan here with my gorgeous wife, Alexis. Hey, guys. And as always, we are utterly grateful and humbled that you would allow us into your headspace. We've prayed for you, and we've prayed that there would be some seed planted, some word spoken, some comfort given, some correction received. As my wife and I and our team here at Neighbors Church just continue to have these conversations around the topics of import that we are wrestling through ourselves. And over the last seven months now, we have been exploring the seven core convictions around which we are training our community groups and weaving in and out of our teachings at the Sunday gatherings and just letting kind of uh, weave the fabric of Neighbors Church together as we head for the fall here uh, in 2022. And so we've reached the seventh of these core convictions. And for this one, we're going to be talking about the the conviction of category-defying relationships. Uh, in other words, mm-hmm. my wife actually said this right before we started recording, the idea of counter-formed, like counter-cultural communities, communities that don't look like the communities that we see in the world around us. And so in many ways, uh, community, that tagline, that word, is such a bread and butter word for Neighbors Church. From the very beginning, we have stressed the necessity of togetherness, of presence one unto another in our Wednesday gatherings, in homes, Tuesday gatherings, in homes, around tables, at the Sunday gathering, under the scriptures, singing songs around the table of communion, such an important facet of Christian discipleship and Christian formation. But there's a nuance here in this particular conviction, and it is this conviction that our communities are to be comprised of category-defying relationships or counter-cultural relationships. The tagline that we're adopting is, we will cultivate deep, loyal, and united friendships across the boundaries of race class, politics, sex, and age in a world that seeks to polarize and divide based on categories of power or privilege. This is a radical conviction. Mm -hmm. It is one that is most necessary for the church to be an effective kingdom enterprise, bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven And we want to just sit here and chat about some of the blessings and the burdens, the difficulties and the delights of developing and committing ourselves to living in these category-defying relationships. And really, as I've thought through it, I can't think of another community other than the church where such radical diversity is called for. I, I can't think of a gathering of people, whether it be in sport or clubs or affinities or hobby groups where the boundaries of cultural preference, race, class, politics, sex, and age are all defied. That the entire realm in which most people build their community through some sort of affinity in one of those places, the church is the only place that I can actually think of that is required by the king to defy those boundaries and to press through those boundaries and to break them down for the glory of Jesus, but not only for the glory of Jesus, for the good of our own souls. Yeah, I agree. 
um, this this type of community is so important because when you look at the kingdom of God in its fullness, in its completion, the church currently represents the future reality of that kingdom in its fullness. And or so, should, should or try should. to. Yeah, yeah, it should try <laughs> to. Um, and so, you know, when, when you look at, when we observe through the scriptures, you know, those, those days when we're all finally with King Jesus and he is ruling and reigning, you know, we're told every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be unified and brought together by the blood of Jesus. And this is the Jesus who welcomes us into his family. And he also says that we are family. And so as the church, we are these representatives of this future kingdom reality that is to come. And so our relationships need to represent that. They need to represent that diversity of people that are all being brought into the family of God, where when he is ruling and reigning, there's going to be every tribe, every tongue, every Mm. nation worshiping King Jesus. Mm. And so we need to start working towards that now. Yeah. And I think what's so potent about this cultural moment in which Jesus has placed us for such a time as this, you, dear Christian, have been placed in this unique, unique community to intentionally break down these barriers is that the social moment is crying out for these barriers to be broken down. The, the, the anguish uh, of these past few years, the political polarization of these years past, um, the isolation that we all experienced in the midst of plague have intensified the human heart's cry for a sense of union and a sense of legitimate community across these barriers. And so the moment itself is potent. And even as Alexis and I are having this little chat about it, I'm sure you, dear listener, are rallying on the other end of the microphone there in your speakers saying, yes, I want this. Yes, this is what we need. Yes, this is what the world needs. But as is so often the case with the greatest blessings that God longs to give comes some of the heaviest burdens and the deepest responsibilities and the hardest points of crucifixion that actually lead to these resurrected realities. In other words, said super simply, this type of category-defying relationship, this countercultural formation of community, dear friend, it is very, very difficult to achieve and to maintain uh, for the glory of God and for our well-being. Mm-hmm. We have to consider, you know, just the echo chambers um, that we live in. And, you know, echo chambers may be even like, of course, like echo chambers of thought, that kind of thing. But, you know, we have, if we evaluate and we really look at our lives, we have, it's easy, I guess I'd say, to kind of segregate off and to find like your type of person, to find people who think like you, to find people who are, you know, you just, you can start to find people that are pretty much replicas of who you are. And so I do think, you know, to Dan's point of it not being easy and that this is difficult work, I think we have to be truly honest um, with what we value and why do we value those things. And, 
you know, this isn't to just harp on social media. I'll do, or, I'll do that. I'll, I'll harp on social media. You guys know I'll harp on social media. Yeah, on social media or news feeds, that kind of stuff, because, you know, everyone has their boundary with, you know, how they are utilizing those things. But I do think we just have to continue to remember, you know, even like our news feeds, our phones, they're constantly these these little devices that are influencing us and shaping us and most likely continuing to keep us in getting, taking us deeper and further into our echo chamber. And so it's just important to evaluate, is there diversity in your life and in your thought? And I'm not just saying diversity in terms of black or white, but I'm saying diversity in every way. Do you have older people in your life? Do you have younger people in your life? Do you have someone who thinks very different differently than you politically? All those types of things. Um, you have to first ask yourself and be honest with the reality of that. What is true about your life? Is there a diversity there? Yeah, I think the tragic myth of the contemporary notion of Christian community that you know breaks these barriers is that it's community devoid of conflict. And that's simply not possible. Mm-hmm. That is not possible in these defying, you know, these category defying relationships. If, if all of your relationships are smooth and there's never any point of contradiction with your worldview or your political perspective or your cultural preference or your background, um, then there's probably not a real diversity within your community. And so it's a good checkpoint without a very conscious and intentional movement towards those who are not like us, uh, our proclivity, of course, justifiably so, is to seek comfort, not discomfort. It's to seek agreement, not disagreement. Like, friend, that's that's a perfectly normal thing. But when Jesus says, pick up your cross, part and parcel of carrying the cross is to become self-conscious and aware where these personal creature comforts of affinity and like-mindedness may actually be limiting the growth of your own soul, as we'll talk about here in a moment. And so as Lex brings up the echo chambers, the algorithms that are aggressively addicting the most primal parts of our brain to these false sense of belonging and anger and tribalism, when we begin to address community that breaks the barriers of culture, like cultural preference, which is like this nebulous, unspoken, deep thing that's hard to put your finger on, or breaking down the barriers of color and the the severity of sensitivity, justifiably so, the sensitivity in the realm of race and color and those barriers being broken down. Politics, I think enough said. Um, the political discourse has devolved to um, abysmal levels at this point in our social moment. When we talk about sex and gender and age, these are... Um, the very roots of how we understand ourselves. They're very powerful, they're very deep, and they're very potent. And so we need to acknowledge the weightiness of these these ways in which we would normally build community. Yeah, so again, our, you know, our cultural preferences, they're deep, and we're blind to them. But when it comes to the reality of Christianity, everything about our past life now is to be made brand new. The slate has been... Um, made clean, so to speak. And again, as I said, color is a radically powerful piece of our identities. Color 
in this moment and throughout the history of particularly the United States has severely affected how human beings experience their social environment. And that has to be recognized and thought through. There is a tremendous amount of complexity in that. And yet through the complexity, Jesus speaks every tribe, every nation confessing their allegiance to Jesus. This is what binds us together Mm-hmm. not in spite of color, not to the ignorance or the naivete of the reality of color and how it shapes us socially, but to the glory of God, the the tapestry of multitudes of colors and cultures coming together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even so too, you know, politics are powerful. And, you know, even the fact that we live in the United States of America and, you know, we can vote and all those things and we can have opinion in what's happening in our world you know, that's an incredible gift. And so politics are powerful because they present the opportunity for one's culture and preference. So like I said, you can get out and vote and you can, um, you know, choose certain people. Hopefully if you want a certain guy, hopefully he gets put into office or gal, you know, that kind of thing. Yet as Jesus followers, we are people of the kingdom. And so there's also the reality that we are neither Republican nor Democrat. We are Jesus followers. We are mm-hmm. practicing the way of Jesus. And we're, you know, this third way that mm-hmm. Dan, I've heard you talk about a lot, this third way um, kingdom reality when it comes to politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The third way language is rooted in uh, missiology and how do you bring in these disparate, these disparate poles and mm-hmm. not to neglect the nuance of politics. Um, I think, we make an oversimplification and I I've been guilty of this where we just say, well, we follow Jesus. We're kingdom people. Well, following kingdom people in the United States of America also means we have the, the privilege of voting right. and being involved in the political process. It's a matter of what is subsumed under which authority piece. Are you Republican first, Democrat first or Christian kingdom first? And underneath that are the flavors mm-hmm. of how you work your politic out. Very, very complicated when you have somebody who's deeply convicted who is Christian kingdom first, two people, Christian kingdom first, but their political philosophy differs just enough that they're sitting around the table at Wednesday night community group and they disagree. (laughs) How does that barrier break down? That's where the real rawness of this uh, culture defying, culture forming community takes shape. And it's honestly so beautiful, you know, even and I'm not even going to go into, you know, the politics of it all, but even with what's recently happened with Roe versus Wade and, mm-hmm. and just already hearing from our community groups, just the kinds of conversations that are being had rather than pushing, you know, people's ideas on what they think politically, you know, was a loss or was a gain. It's been powerful to hear just the conversations that are happening where, again, communities, these Jesus followers are coming together and having conversations and really saying, well, what is, what is Jesus calling us to as a community? And there's just power and for sure, a lot of different opinions, but these people with different opinions are shaping one another and pressing into how do we love Jesus during these days, this time that we live in. It is powerful. And, you know, just to comment on even the the political moment and the power of it, I, I'm just sitting here reflecting on, the joy of my own soul formation. You know, I have been more potently formed by some of my left of center, um, more liberal 
Christians and their perspectives, especially in their political format. And I've been more formed by some of my, what I would consider uh, very right of center, uh, hedging somewhat on even what I would consider Christian nationalism, just listening to their passion, listening to their joy, listening to their their, uh, vigor and understanding, coming to understand why they hold these positions. It's been formative for me. And so it just reiterates and double underlines and bolds. You aren't becoming who you truly are unless you have people that disagree with you. Unless you're being, uh, unless you're listening, truly listening to perspectives that are so different than yours. Sex and gender, of course, are at the very core of who we are. And while Paul says in Galatians that we are neither male nor female, uh, there are still definitive differences and distinctions in every facet of human existence between male and female and in the church and in contemplative culture that shapes our lives. And so the, the barriers that are being broken down that must be broken down in the church have to acknowledge the power of these gender differences. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, you know, with, with age, you know, age sets us in brackets and life stages that are very different from one another. And so, you know, you can have a young, you know, 13-year-old girl, and you can have in a community group alongside a 45-year-old woman or a man for that matter, and just very different life stages that are very different from one another. Yet powerfully, you know, Paul exhorted the church, you know, the older women to disciple the younger women and the older men to disciple the, the younger men. And it's just there's a real potency that can happen when you are going across those boundary lines of age and you have, you know, older people interacting with younger people and older people are so needed in so many ways for stability in thought and stability in, in the way we continue to move forward and younger people are needed for moving things forward and moving the ball forward. And so there's a powerful thing that can happen when you defy that boundary of age and you say, okay, we're, we want to come together regardless of our age. And, you know, it can be a really sad thing when you walk into a church and you'll hear a comment like, oh, this is a really young church or, oh, this is a really old church. But that's the opposite of what the church is to be in the spirit. We are supposed to be a family of grandmothers and grandfathers, of mothers and fathers, of aunts and uncles brothers and sisters, this spiritual family where we're coming alongside one another at different stages of life. And, you know, maybe in a situation we're acting more like a grandparent and maybe in a situation, you know, we're functioning more as a sister, but there's, there's a real potency that can happen when you say, we're not going to let age separate us. Mm. Yeah. It goes without saying that as we talk about these various categories that the church must break through and defy or redefine around the cross that this type of community that we're praying for and living for and hoping for is a miracle. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. That is the foundation, not by might Mm -hmm. nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It is in fact what we see at the beginning of the church in Acts chapter two, the spirit pours out. And cultural, language, ethnic, racial, political, social, hierarchical, economic barriers are destroyed by the Holy Spirit. And then within just a short few chapters, 
we are as the church coalescing around our affinity types, disregarding those that aren't like us. And that's much of what the New Testament is written to Paul trying to re- trying to remind God's people the spirit has united us. Mm-hmm. And so it really, it does take this extreme intentionality to be with others, to learn, to agree, to disagree in love and to continue forward. And I was talking to Dan about this yesterday, just about one of our very first communities in Seattle when we were up there pastoring and Dan and I set out, it was the first time we were really hosting a community in our home at that time. And we set out to really diversify it and just go completely opposite rather than it being like an infinity based group. We were like, let's just bring together people who are very different from one another. And so we had this 65 year old couple with us. Um, and then we had this, this young dating couple who were considering marriage. We had our family of five. So we had, you know, Dan and I plus three little kids. <laughs> and then we had uh, this other man, I won't say his name. I was about to say his name, yeah. but we had this other man and he was, um, he was actually a gay man that a 90 year old grandma from our church had just been reaching out to baking cookies to him and his spouse. And he ended up joining our community group because he was actually going through a divorce yeah. with his partner and, and had become blind through a series of circumstances and was just really facing incredible hardship. Mm. And we wanted to bring him in. And so we had such a diverse community group. And there were so many times where we'd be like, okay, how do we connect? How are we gonna interact? Like even before we'd all come together, we'd be like, Dan and I would be saying, you know, how do we wanna approach conversations? And, And the powerful thing about that was just, we'd have dinner every week and we'd let conversation roll. And we'd ask like, you know, origin kind of stories about one another, tell your, mm. share your story. Mm. But, um, you know, there were moments when it was hard and be like, oh, I, I want to be with another mom who has three kids, yeah. you know? <laughs> and and it was, and it it was awkward at times. I mean, if you've got the, the unintentional Bible answer man that has the answer to every single thing, sitting next to the doe-eyed dating couple and they're just, you know, trying to keep the pants on and like wanting to obey Jesus. And then you've got, you know, your gay friend sitting there who's just like, you know, I lost my sight. I cannot, uh, this man had gone blind due to a, an issue with um, HIV. And the conversations were radically intense and there wasn't a lot of consensus and there wasn't a lot of completion in those conversations. And so I think rather than painting some sort of idealistic Mm -hmm. uh, and romantic vision of what this community looks like, there were, like my wife just said, I remember many nights just being like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do a night with Bible Answer Man trying to correct our gay friend. But what was powerful in that, so while it was difficult, really Dan and I look back on that, that community group with such fondness and a real love and affection because we grew to love these people who are very, very different than us. And we started to see, man, they have things here that we value. They contribute things that we value. And you know what? Just as, you know, some of them may have been like, wow, that's kind of bothersome. I don't know how to interact with that. I'm sure we had things that were bothersome and they were like, how do I interact with that? So I think it's always important, you know, with communities to 
when you're interacting in a community to remember maybe those things that might rub you the wrong way are difficult. You're likely rubbing a person the wrong way and someone's finding you difficult. For sure. Somebody finds you difficult. I, it's okay. You're, you're a difficult person. I love you. I'm, I'm a difficult, difficult person. <laughs> <laughs> so as you're praying and seeking and, and wanting to honor God and building community, just a couple other thoughts on this. This requires a tremendous amount of time. Um, again, another, I think, myth or duping of modern Western culture that we've bought into is the high-speed internet, fast food, give me my immediate results now. And so Christians have been trained by the cultural moment, I think unintentionally by pastors who immediately just start calling their small groups family. Well, I don't know. It's, I don't think that's really doing justice to what this type of community takes. You know, my wife and I were in Seattle for over a decade. That type of community had to be intentionally cultivated and then we had to stick with it and not give up. Uh, neighbors, you know, it is idealistic. I recognize this. But if we're not going to shoot for the ideal, then what are we doing? I, we talk often about being a, a five-generation church. I have become completely smitten with that old-school family church on the corner, you know, in the 50s and 60s that a lot of our grandparents and parents were raised in. Um, in those family churches that have existed for generation after generation, yes, is everybody in everybody's business? Absolutely. Is that obnoxious? Absolutely. Are there tons of disagreements and conflicts and infighting? Absolutely. And there are beautiful things happening in that. I think the only problem with that level of timeliness and commitment is oftentimes those little family churches became ingrown and they forgot that their community and their level of intimacy with one another was actually for the sake of bringing people into that. That's right. To being hospitable, to being missional with that type of community. And so... There's a very delicate balance. We're on the tightrope right now in our own leadership journey and our own community journey of intensively and intentionally building diverse community that we surround ourselves by um, while keeping the door wide open to newcomers. And we're just honest with new people. Like, we've been together for a while. We want to welcome you in. Your story's going to become part of our story. Um, when there's inside jokes, we apologize up front. All that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it also, you know, besides requiring, you know, time, it requires work. And like we said, you know, it's not easy work. And so we have to be responsible and we, we have to bear that mantle and that weight to say, okay, this is a value. This is important. So we are going to do this and we're going to pray into this. Yeah. I, you know, I think this conversation can be pretty convicting for a lot of us. There is an elephant in the room that I want to gently and pastorally address. The phenomena in Western church of church shopping and church hopping to find that which fits you, I think has given Christians a sense of guilt unnecessarily. It's very clear that the Holy Spirit knits personalities and people types together for the sake of mission. And it's very clear that the Holy Spirit operates in one soul under one teacher differently than another soul and a different teacher. And there are different seasons of life and there are, there, there are all these complex factors. Um, and so if you uh, have been church shopping, church hopping, trying to find the community that finally fits you, um, I don't want you to walk away from this conversation feeling guilty. 
The only thing that Alexis and I would say is until there is a, um, a yellow light slash red light, slow down slash stop and really say, okay, maybe this idealistic community that I'm looking for doesn't exist. I'm going to settle into this one. I'm going to settle in and make this one home until it's very, very clear that the spirit is sending me to a different community. And the way that you know that, this is going to be maybe difficult for some of us to hear, the way that you know the community or the way that you know that you are being sent by the spirit to a different community is the community you're in send you. Uh, the people that are watching right now that I most respect and love um, who are, you know, they're working through church stuff. They're actually processing that with their church. And that's not possible all the time. Again, I don't want to make this impossible. That's not possible all the time. There are abusive situations. There are situations where leadership's not listening. There are all sorts of things like that. But if the undergirding commitment is this category defying relationship, then the Christian has made the commitment to uh, what the Benedictine monks call the vow of stability. That is to stay the course, to submit to one another and to, to be with one another. And so ultimately it is by our love for one, for one another that the world is going to know that we're his disciples. Again, like we opened with, the, the church is the picture of what's to come, this kingdom in its fullness, Jesus ruling and reigning every tribe, every tongue, every nation under his kingship all together as one family. And diversity and commitment of our relationships really speaks to the watching world. And so, you know, one of the hardest truths for us to grasp is that we cannot know ourselves apart from a group of other selves that we are, that are very different from us. We need other people in our lives that are very different, different from us. And, mm. and that's why I wanna really emphasize here that your presence matters. Mm. I need you and you need me. Dan needs you and you need Dan. You know, we need one another. We need people who have different color of skin than us. We need people who think differently politically than us. We need the opposite sex of us. We need people of different age from us. Our presence, your presence matters. Yeah, and that's the final piece, I think. The, the counter cultural formation of a, of a category defying community. Um, it breaks down the, the cultural lie of radical autonomy and individualism. That lie convinces us that we find our truest selves by only looking inward and expressing what comes out of us and actually rebelling against any sort of community influence, rebelling or pressing against or resisting the man not allowing parents, pastors, professors to tell us who we think or what society thinks we should be. That's the cultural mantra. There's value in that. I think that there's actually really important things that happen in that. But the, the lie in that is that biblically speaking, we actually can only come to know ourselves by looking outward to the other and dying to ourselves from within. This is what Jesus meant to truly find yourself. You have to die to yourself first. We will never know ourselves looking inward and resisting the influence of community around us. 
if we truly want these category-defying relationships, if we truly want this countercultural community and we want to live within it, it starts with you, dear listener. It starts with me, speaker, saying, how can I die for the other that is in front of me? How do I look, not within, but how do I look to the other and my self-preferences, my self-desires, my self-affinities, how do I die to them mm-hmm. for the other? Yeah, babe, I think we'll call that a wrap. Yep. Uh, you guys can go back and listen to you know each of these respective convictions that we're orbiting around and threading in and throughout the culture of our church. They're each really important, and I think they'll be a part of the fabric of the life of our church as long mm-hmm. as we exist, hopefully for at least five generations. That's what I'm praying for. Yeah. Um, they'll evolve. They'll take shape. And um, we will continue to put one foot in front of the other until the king comes and his glory covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. That, that's going to be good times, folks. Keep your head up. Keep your hand to the plow.